Hello everybody, my name is Eric Mercier. I am co-owner of Juice Imports, and today we're gonna walk you through the December edition of our premium wine club, which includes some really wild bottles. Uh, today in the studio, we actually have a guest. Uh, our, our good friend Ben came down from Edmonton. Uh, yeah, maybe you wanna introduce yourself and let us know what you do. Uh, yeah. Yes, hello. Uh, my name is Ben Staley. I'm the chef co-owner of Restaurant Yarrow up in Edmonton, where we do a pretty, you know, intense, intensely long tasting menus, about 20 to 25 courses uh, for a group of 10 people per night. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, ben and I have known each other for a long time now. We've, uh, I don't know, I think I wrote the original wine list at, uh, at Alder Room back in the day. Alta. Uh, at Alta. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Been friends ever since then. We, we kind of have the same mind mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> yeah. and end up saying the exact same thing more often than not. And so we've gotten along incredibly well. Uh, you'll notice we both sound incredibly uh, fatigued. <laughs> uh, we had the Juice Imports uh, Christmas party last night. So we drank uh, a significant amount of wine. And although we've gotten up and tried to, to take a little hangover cure at, uh, at 10 Foot Henry, we're both still feeling... You know, at the very least, a little under the weather. You can tell it in the sound of my voice. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I think we'll still be able to get through this podcast relatively unscathed. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I'm going to introduce the first wine, then we'll taste it together. We'll chat a little bit about it. Ben will maybe offer some uh, some suggested pairings. We're going to chat about some other things as well, too. Uh, you know, try and poke the bear or, you know, as they say. Awake the beast. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so the first wine in today's wine club, uh, first red, uh, is uh, from Paradise Grapevine, some really good friends of ours in uh, Toronto. They actually started off as a um, amazing wine bar. Uh, they actually took over this like old Greek restaurant. They kept the original uh, sign and some of the decor in place. Um, if you ever get a chance and you're in, uh, in Toronto, definitely go to Paradise Grapevine. They have amazing staff super knowledgeable, an amazing wine list. And then they started importing wine. So they actually have a little importing agency the same way that we do, uh, working with really great natural wine producers from all over the world. And then most recently, they've started actually making wine. So they've um, gone into this sort of shared winery space uh, with their friends kind of near, I think it's near Jordan, uh, Ontario. Um, and uh, they've been able to purchase some grapes from some really amazing farmers. I think the end goal is that they would love to be able to uh, plant their own grapes and farm their own fruit, um, but at the moment they're working with some, some really wicked farmers to make some wines, and this is uh, what they call their vin de soif, so they're like thirst-quenching wine. Uh, it's made mostly from Gamay Noir, a grape that you guys are incredibly familiar with now if you've been in the club for a while, uh, and Zweigelt. Uh, Zweigelt Austrian grape variety that does incredibly well in Canada, in my opinion. Uh, lots of red fruits, quite juicy. Uh, and the whole goal here was just to make something that was really vibrant, crushable, um, you know, still has a ton of complexity to it, I would argue. But at the same time, it's a it's a wine that is designed for thirst quenching and, uh, I don't know, hydration, which is exactly what we need right now. Mm. Uh, I don't know. This is maybe your first taste of this wine. What, what do you think? definitely my first taste of the wine. Nice. Yeah, it's a... Uh... Yeah, obviously like quite light and bright acidity and fresh fruits. Mm-hmm. Pretty soft. Super soft. Yeah. There's not a lot of you know, tannin there from the from the gamay. Yeah. But yeah, this is a definitely crushable. Yeah. I think this is like a style of red wine that goes really well with the style of food that you make as well too. Where it's mm-hmm. like intense flavors but light body. Uh, yes. Yeah. Which I think we could use to describe a lot of the dishes that you that you work with, uh, that you make. Yeah, yeah, I think we definitely you know just kind of want to try and let the ingredients speak for themselves and and really try and not mess that up. And that's kind of the way that we see it. It's just like get really nice stuff and don't fuck it up. Yeah, basically. <laughs> I feel like that's pretty accurate. I think that's the exact uh, goal of most of the winemakers that they work with. They're like, if we harvest perfect grapes. Our entire goal is just to like not screw this up. We only had one opportunity. Exactly. Uh, you know, the grapes are already perfect. The only thing we can do is make these grapes taste worse, essentially. So it's, it's the only direction we can go. Yeah. So just be as careful as possible. 
Um, yeah, you seem to be quite a gamay drinker. You like uh, lots of Beaujolais. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there a particular reason you like that grape variety? You like that style, or uh, I think that like for me, I think gamay is just like one of the best uh, food wines, at least as far as red is concerned. Uh, it's not like too. It's not so flimsy that it can't stand up to a lot of things, but it's also like it's never you know too big that it overpowers a lot. It's kind of like the best of both worlds. It has a nice body and structure. Um, but then, you know, fresh fruit, nice bright acidity, uh, which, you know, like you mentioned, kind of goes with our food a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Typically I have slightly higher acid food. I have a rather acidic palate. However, though, I've noticed that like, as I'm getting older, I think that's changing a little bit. Um, I'm kind of you know, not leaning towards like the super blow your head off acidity uh, <laughs> yeah. like I used to. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of, it's always, yeah. Like I think our first dishes on the menu that we usually would pair red with tends to be like a little bit lighter have some acid some like slightly fatty components which i think like the acid in the wine it helps with that as well totally yeah the interesting thing about ben's restaurant too is that it's uh literally just him and one other cook and they do the entire service so for for all 10 people uh they are you know Bussing your, uh, you know, bussing, cooking, uh, but also Ben is doing the wine pairings. And so, uh, unless, you know, on the rare occasion where I come up and I, I get to get to hang out for the night, but, uh, for you, what, what is sort of your thought process when you're trying to come up with, uh, you know, what to pair with what, because, I don't know, you've said this a, a lot in the past where you're like, often I don't make this dish until, the night of service essentially. And so, and same thing with the wines is like a lot of the, the wines you get in, there's like six bottles in Alberta. And so you don't necessarily, you know, you're kind you're kind of flying like a little on the seat of your pants. So what, what is your sort of like philosophy and, and your, uh, your methodology for, for wine pairings? Uh, yeah, wine pairings are tough and it's still like, no matter how long I've been doing this, it's still like a little bit, it's a little stressful. Um, (laughs) however, I think, you know, working with you and I, I definitely learned a lot. Um, you know, kind of like the first go around, you know, like, uh, older opened with, you know, you kind of dictating the wines and, you know, kind of guiding me in a way that, you know, oh, that would go great with this, that would go great with that. And I think that over time, like I still don't have a ton of wine experience. Um, I just like it. I like to, you know, I love the, the act of like, you know, making it, and I very much appreciate the process, um, just like I do with anything else, but, uh, yeah, I think over time, just kind of developed, like, a little bit of a repertoire of, like, the style of wines that I feel kind of goes with our style of food, so we tend to, at the restaurant, have, you know, stuff that is, you know, slightly, slightly higher acid, um, usually on the, on the drier side, um, I've been really kind of into like kind of green and savory and grassy wines lately. Like I'm like really into like Chenin Blanc and stuff. Yeah. Lately, and I think that you know, kind of our direction a little bit going uh, towards seafood at the restaurant. I think uh, has also kind of changed the wine direction a little bit more. Yeah, definitely. So, kind of going like you know uh, a lot more like Silverners and Gruner Veltliners and kind of like salty savory wines like mm-hmm. you know some jura and some kind of like sherry style wines so oxidative qualities um you know and then with the with the reds we don't t- i don't typically ever pair red with seafood for the most part at least like yeah how we want to do seafood we're not doing like you know heavy kind of cooked braised stuff it's like we tend to just get really high quality seafood and then i prefer to serve it raw or like you know, as cooked, as lightly cooked as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, kind of really trying to accentuate the sweetness of those things, like scallops in particular, you know. Um, yeah, I think it's a, I don't really, there's not really a rhyme or reason to it. I think yeah. I just kind of remember, kind of go based off of what I kind of know is like a, a classic pairing. I think like, you know, semillon and oysters or something. Yeah. Um, and then kind of full, maybe pick something that, is along those lines uh, but it's also it depends on where it is on the menu as well mm-hmm. uh, so yeah we end up the food kind of goes from a lot more refreshing and lighter and higher acid to getting like slightly progressively heavier and richer until we end up at like our kind of 
handful of richer meat courses. Um, so the wine definitely kind of follows suit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even uh, like two nights ago when we were doing the menu, we did, uh, of the seven wines that we paired with the meal, we did five, f- essentially five whites and two reds. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, I, I tell people this all the time. I'm just like, white is just going to be infinitely more pairable with food. Uh, you know, 90% of the time when we give somebody a red wine as a pairing, it's because we know that red wine is expected at some point in the meal, <laughs> yeah. uh, rather than it being like exclusively the best pairing. But I think if, uh, somebody paid money for a, a wine tasting, uh, or, uh, for, you know, for, for pairings or something like that and got exclusively white wine, I think they'd be pretty, uh, pretty ticked off, at least here in Alberta, I think in, in some other places they'd, they'd be more accepting of, yeah, cool. Like it's great. You just gave me the best pairing, but yeah, I do think the two final dishes, uh, I feel like those dishes would be really fun to talk about um, yeah, for sure. from, from the menu. From uh, So uh, the, the, the last two, I guess, savory dishes, mm-hmm. uh, one, lamb's tongue, two, duck. Do you want to walk us through those dishes, maybe? Yeah, like so um, they're both pretty simple. Like, we tend to, for the meat dishes, uh, at least with, like, all of the dishes, you know, we want to have... We try to never put more than four things on a plate mm-hmm. in terms of, like, individual ingredients... Um, you know, it's, it, however, there's a lot of process that goes into those ingredients. So, you know, I'm really of the kind of believer of seasoning something with itself in a way. Mm. So like if we did a beet dish, for example, the beets are going to be like, have various kind of preparations of them being cooked. And then we'd have maybe like some dried and some pickled ones or, you know, to kind of just like develop as many, you know, layers of that single ingredient as possible. But, um, while still only being one ingredient. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the two kind of more savory dishes, the one right after our broth course, um, is uh, a glazed lamb's tongue. And uh, it kind of throws a lot of people off because <laughs> A, how we serve it is like literally just the tongue cut in half. So it looks like a tongue. Um, and I think it's, it's a little bit challenging for some people because a lot of people are just, you know, pretty, you know, they get stuck in their head a little bit. So they just can't really get over the thought of a tongue. But at the restaurant, like we try and, you know, we try and utilize as much of the animal or using kind of products that would typically go to waste. Uh, we try and mitigate our waste as much as possible. Cause I think it's, you know, it's not only a responsibility, but it's a, it's a challenge to kind of find fun ways to utilize these leftover products. Um, so yeah, take lamb's tongue, you brine them for about three or four days. Uh, like a 2.5% salt brine um, relatively high sugar content in the brine um, sugar is actually a more effective desiccant than salt is so it's, uh, it can penetrate easier um, and then yeah we take those we cook them at 68 degrees celsius for about 20 to 24 hours depending on the size that they are in a bag sous vide I like sous vide for tough cuts I don't actually ever like sous vide for tender cuts mm. I'd much prefer to like you know cook a steak in a pan or something than, yeah than in a bag uh, however with cuts like that you know it's like you can you can get a result that you could never get otherwise yeah that like you know if, if you braced it you could never brace something at that low of a temperature mm. um so yeah it's just like it's a has a really nice kind of it's a soft but like just slightly kind of toothsome texture like it has like a tiny, tiny bit of chew to it, but it's definitely, it's not really putting up much resistance yeah. in your mouth. And then we take that and we glaze it in a pretty intense lamb reduction. So it's like roasted lamb bones, uh, stock cooked down by like, you know, it's about 20 liters to one liter. Uh, it's, it's a, oh, wow. <laughs> essentially like it's a, you know, it's a, it's a demi-gloss, um, which for most restaurants is not like, financially feasible yeah it's, it's a lot of work it's expensive for the yield that you get for but for us it's kind of perfect um yeah skimming it like every 15 minutes uh until it just like reduces it's insanely glossy very vibrant but then we put a liter of uh prune juice in that when we reduce it um yeah finding a little bit of sweetness a little bit of savoriness so we glaze those tongues in that 
and then it's served with a stewed prune. So all we do is just kind of like bring it up in that sauce and just kind of warm it through. And so super simple, just kind of having the the brightness and the acidity from the the sauce just kind of cut through the richness of the the tongue. Yeah, that's the lamb. Uh, the duck is a is one that been kind of serving for a long time. Uh, constantly tweaking the technique uh, I think just making it better and better and better I I don't want this to sound bad at all but like I think it's the best um, cooked duck that I've ever had and we work very very hard on um, you know doing it properly every day and um, it's a it's a process it's uh, so we get these beautiful ducks whole ducks we break them down to the crown so the breasts are still attached to the you know the 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 kind of, you know, torso of the duck. Trim off the wings, trim off the legs. Dredge those for about a week. Um, what that does, like, you know, water is uh, is going to prohibit you from getting a crispy skin. So it dries them, it removes the water from the skin. And then cooking it uh, basically involves going in and out of a very, very hot oven. Uh, so 250 degrees Celsius with 0% humidity. Uh, for five minute intervals for six hours. So we put it in the oven for five minutes, we take it out, put it in the freezer for half an hour, then we put it in the oven for five minutes, take it out, freezer for half an hour, and we do that for six hours. Um, <laughs> and basically, if, essentially what that does is, you know, it, it really effectively renders the fat uh, from the duck, cr- really crisp up that skin, all the while, it's so hot and so intense, but it's not in the oven for long enough that the heat really fully penetrates the meat. Yeah. Um, so it's just like hitting it, you know, really, really hard. And then we're cooling it again to bring it back down. So there's no carryover and hitting it really hard. And then after that, then we cook it at 65 degrees Celsius, uh, again, dry heat, um, until the internal temperature reaches 55. Um, we, have changed the glaze plenty of times but right now the setup is um, glaze it in black garlic honey so it's essentially raw honey that's been blended with beer vinegar that we make um, and then black garlic that we also make um, gives it like a really nice kind of glossy like almost crackly texture when done right um, yeah and then that's the set for that is served with variety of black things basically yeah taking the same technique as we do when making black garlic where we take entire heads of garlic and hold them at 70 degrees celsius for six weeks uh effectively and um it's not the traditional way to making black garlic black garlic traditionally is they would you know bury it in clay pots in the middle of summer and the heat it's like a rather low heat but it's like a it's more so an enzymatic breakdown of alliums uh, this is a combination of, uh, you know, caramelization of amino acids and enzymatic breakdown, so Meyer reaction. Um, but you can effectively take that technique and apply it to various other ingredients. So we've made black, like, easily, maybe a hundred different things. Yeah. <laughs> um, just for tests, some things don't work. Um, some things are very, very good. Uh, so yeah, the set is with a single clove of black garlic, a slice of black shallot, and then a black apple puree, and then finished you know, with a sauce made from the carcasses of the ducks and a little bit of black garlic vinegar. And that's it. It's like intensely savory, but you still have like a lot of umami, some sweetness and stuff from the, obviously the glaze and, uh, and the, uh, the black things. So uh, yeah, duck benefits well from sweetness, I think. Yeah, I think of the two dishes, I think this would go better with the duck dish. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think this is like kind of the right thing where it's, you know, it's, it's technically speaking, this is a dry wine, but it's got this like beautiful fruitiness to it and this softness to it that gives the illusion of sweetness yeah. without actually having any sugar to it. And I feel like that's something that would get along really well with the duck, especially the bright acidity too, to cut through some of the sort of fatty elements of it. Yeah, of um, course. Yeah, I think it'd be a... Kind of like, yeah, you know, obviously like, you know, black currants and stuff, which typically you know, find in Zweigelts and... Totally. Came, eh? but it's got like a little bit of almost like slightly uh, like a slight astringency to it like I kind of find with like thick skinned fruits 
Yeah. You get like, you know, aronia berries, for example, they have like a really thick skin. So like has a very, every so like slight astringency and really nice tan into it. Yeah. So it almost reminds me of that a little bit, which I think is, totally. is cool. Yeah. Kind of some like rose hippie things going on here too, where yeah. it's like floral without being floral. Uh, yeah. It's kind of one of those sneaky ones. I, I really dig this wine. I think this is like, I think everybody in the club is going to like this. <laughs> it's, you can't really say that about every wine that we put in the club, uh, you know, more often than not. Like, you know, we're ending, we're aiming for some sort of approval rating for sure, where like most people are going to like most things. But we're also very much of the mindset that like, until you've had all the flavors, you don't know what you like the most. And so we're going to continue just throwing sort of new flavors at you, uh, you know, and just seeing what sticks. That's why we put out that... Uh, that thing, um, you know, the request for people to fill out that uh, little questionnaire asking what is everybody's favorite wine of the of the last six months and what is everybody's least favorite wine in the last six months or, or a year. I can't remember what we put in the thing. I'll send that out again because only four people filled it out so far, uh, which I don't expect any more of you are going to fill it out, but I'm going to send it out a second time anyways. Uh, but that feedback really works well for us because we can find out what everybody's favorite profiles are. Um, but interestingly, of the four people that have filled it out so far, uh, none of them have picked the same uh, top three favorite wines. So all four of them picked entirely different favorite wines and same thing with their least favorite wines. So we have no doubled up wine so far. Nobody has been like, no two people have been like, this is my favorite wine. Uh, and no two people have been like, this is my least favorite wine. So they had totally different top threes or just totally, totally different, different top threes. The number one of the top three. No, totally different top threes. Literally no repeats. Nothing got two votes. Hmm, crazy. I know. I thought that was like, again, it's something that I would have thought of as absolutely impossible. Like it's, I would never have predicted it, but I'm actually super stoked. That means I'm doing my job, uh, you know, at least relatively well. Uh, speaking of brand new flavors, we're going to pour the next wine here. Also shout out to, uh, our good friend Thomas, who's opening up this really awesome wine bar called Missy's in Calgary. Uh, he, uh, started importing some really beautiful glassware. So if you're if you're fans of Zalto glasses, um, but have realized that they're on back order until like spring of 2022, and also don't feel like spending, you know, $90 a glass anymore. Um, he's brought in these really beautiful glasses and, and we're giving them a test drive right now. So if you follow Missy's uh, on, uh, on Instagram and, and send him a message, he might be able to hook you up with some glasses. Um, but yeah, we got a really fun wine for you next year. Um, it sounds wild. Yeah. Right. Uh, so yeah, this is a, this, this is a cool one. So this is something that we ordered, um, like six months ago for the wine club specifically. Uh, and then it finally showed up sort of just in time. Uh, so we're really stoked to get to share it. Um, this is from our friend Laurent Cazotte. I've admired his projects for, again, as long as I can remember, uh, you know, I, I think that he's such an amazing, uh, farmer. So not only does he grow grapes, but he also grows uh, over 200 different species of tomatoes. Uh, he grows, you know, 30 different species of apples, a bunch of different pears, uh, a lot of different fruits, but also things like flowers. Uh, he grows flowers that are uh, specifically, um, they scare away insects, uh, weirdly enough. And so he actually like plants those in and around his garden, makes distillates from them because he's also a distiller uh, and makes some of the coolest eau de vies and, and liqueurs on the planet. Um, and uh, yeah, so he actually makes distillates out of some of the things that he grows and uses them as like essentially biodynamic preparations uh, for his actual vineyard. So again, somebody that I admire a lot. Um, the other thing that is very cool about him is that he is um, working a lot with indigenous grape varieties. So grape varieties that are from this particular area in southern France. Um, he's in the Tarn, uh, which is, again, a region that nobody's really heard of before, but it has this really long history of growing grape varieties that, again, people are unfamiliar with. Um, in the entry-level wine club next month, we're using uh, a Jurin Noir, which is a grape variety that, again, like nobody's ever really heard of before. It was actually outlawed in the region for a period of time, uh, but fortunately, we're, we're seeing it again. Um, uh, there's a grape called Duras that they're working with, uh, Brocol, uh, Fair Servadou. Again, these are all grape varieties that nobody's ever heard of before, but the rarest of the rare uh, is this one. This is Prunelar. Um, Prunelar, there's only 30 hectares of it planted in the entire world, and they're all essentially within like this, I don't know, 100 kilometer radius. 
um, dark-fruited, funky. It's based on a, a wild grape variety, essentially. So a grape variety that was like found in the woods, apparently, and then uh, and then somebody quasi-domesticated it. Um, but yeah, it's a local specialty, and it's going to be totally different from anything that you've ever smelt or tasted before. Yeah, very famous for being like really irony, uh, like super rich. I don't know. Do you want to give a, a little tasting sure. note, little little impression? Oh yeah, it's yeah, very, very like metallic. Totally. Um, it smells to me like uh, like Flintstone vitamins. It's got like kind of a slightly like chalky talcum quality cool. on the nose, uh, like mixed with like. You know, like when you like just finish eating a, like the crunch, not the gummies, like the crunchy yeah, ones. Yeah, totally. Um, Holy, yeah, that Flintstone vitamin thing is real accurate. Um, yeah, I've never smelled anything like this before. Yeah. I don't even like really know what to make of it. This would go great with the lamb because it's like, it's got that prune quality to it too. Like that really dark fruit, almost like, uh, like black figs, like dried black figs. Um, That's actually, it's so funny that you say that because we actually made... Um, we made black, black figs, like taking the same, yeah. and this smells just like that. Like that was weird. Totally. Like, trying to find a way to use that. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, super cool, eh? Lots of like interesting herbal qualities here too, where it's like got that, that rosemary, uh, almost like um, tarragon-y kind of quality. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Like tons of black tea, like super black tea, kind of dominant nose. Yeah, it's like massive on the palate, like 13.5% alcohol, structured. For everybody who, uh, I don't know, knows that I have a uh, a bias for very light wines, you'll notice that there's a lot of light red wines in the wine club. And so we figured, uh, you know, why not throw something in there that's the exact opposite of that? Something that's like got tannin, richness, density, depth. Uh, it's got everything you want, but it still has freshness. That's what's very surprising about this wine to me is that at 13.5% alcohol, it's still got tons of freshness to it. Uh, it's so interesting. <laughs> Do you like it? You don't have to. That's the nice thing about this podcast. See, I don't, I don't know. I, I'd want to give it, I'd want to spend more time with it. Mm -hmm. uh, like, I didn't immediately like it. Yeah. Um, but also, the thing is, I, I don't dislike it. Okay. And I, I hate when people say that, but, um, <laughs> yeah, like it, it makes me, I, I want to keep smelling it and I want, like want to keep tasting it. Yeah. But like, I definitely could not drink a bottle. No. Um, okay. Not, not like by myself. For sure. But again, you know, that's just, that's me kind of, you know, typically gravitating towards, you know, we have, I think pretty similar palates in that sense. Yeah. Um, but I, I definitely see this being a great food wine and yeah. I would be like, I'd be happy to have this with like something that's like pretty savory mm. i feel like a red meat of sorts i do think that like yeah like lamb would be quite good yeah i think like goat like something kind of in like Almost that like neighborhood we had that that like tartare last night like the, the oh beef. yeah yeah like uh beef like soaked in fish sauce. Uh, fish sauce yeah um with a little caviar yeah our, our staff party got real off the rails <laughs> for sure I think yeah. 10 I of think us drank 18 bottles of wine and then we went and drank a bunch of eggnogs afterwards. So <laughs> again, it's, it's a hard nog life. Yeah. It's a hard nog life. Classic. Um, yeah. Like this, I think could, it kind of has like a, like, like a kind of saline fermenty quality. Like you kind of yeah. get with like some fish sauce. Totally. Um, Definitely a saltiness, like black licorice, those salty black licorices. Yeah. Yeah. The Danish, like, <laughs> I'm really selling it to you right now. Just no, like, I remember using words you hate. <laughs> no, I love black licorice, but uh, when I went to yeah, when I went to Sweden, I had the the candies, and I was like, "This is disgusting." I was like, yeah, I'm also not a fan. Of They're them. grossly salty. Yeah, like I can understand a little bit of salt, but it's like, yeah, it's it's you're sucking They're on challenging. salt with yeah. licorice flavor. Totally. Yeah, they're challenging. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> totally fair. Um, yeah, I love the I love anise. You know, wild liquor shoot. It's like one of my favorite things to use. Totally. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. Again, I just love being introduced to new flavors. And the first time I tasted this wine, I was just like, whoa, like this is new. And the interesting thing is there's a, the other grape varieties in this region have sort of a family resemblance to this, which is probably why they're not like world famous or anything like that. Uh, but I do think they deserve to exist. Like that's the thing is, is uh, you know, there's there's flavors out there that I, I crave uh, very seldom. Uh, you know, I think of things like uh, like century eggs and things mm. like... Uh, like chicken gizzards for some weird reason are like not usually my favorite thing. Um, but like, I think those flavors are like important to the canon of flavors. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm happy these flavors exist and it, it makes our lives sort of more rich. Uh, and, and sort of the, the, the tapestry of food that we have across the world. And I think it's the same thing with wine. I'm like, just because this doesn't taste like, you know, Malbec or Pinot Noir or whatever the most popular thing is at this particular moment. I think it very much deserves to exist because I think it adds something that couldn't exist otherwise in the wine sort of spectrum. Um, but yeah, definitely worth seeking out some of their other red wines as well because they are they do show other flavors. Their entry-level red, for instance, uh, is really delicious and tastes like a really light-bodied Malbec. Um, it's made from uh, Duras and Brocol. Um, like really, like it's 12.5% alcohol, bright, fresh, juicy, way lower tannin than this uh and then yeah some of their whites are really cool as well um the champetra which is made uh from mozac uh and then the adele which is made from uh mozac rose uh so like a pink version of uh of mozac both incredibly just bright fresh crispy little white wines uh and yeah definitely seek out his spirits as well too uh, you know, if you really want to try them, you can you can now go to uh, go to Yarrow, uh, and uh, you can uh, you know have a little sip of tomato liqueur or black walnut liqueur or some uh, some apple or plum eau de vie. Uh, so, if, you know, if you think the things that he's doing are interesting, definitely seek out his other products as well. Uh, not only that, but definitely check him out on on YouTube. There's uh, like a thirty minute sort of documentary about him that is incredibly good. Uh, it's, it's definitely worth watching. It shows his entire process from, um, you know, taking the tomatoes every year, uh, washing and then drying the seeds, uh, cataloging them and then growing them from, from seed every single year in his garden. It goes through his, uh, you know, they talk to his dad in it and about how he acquired the, the, um, uh, well, essentially the farm, but most importantly, the, the still uh, that he has. Uh, and he goes through like the whole history of the region and everything. Like, honestly, it's, it's such a good little thing. It's in French, but I'm pretty sure you can get subtitles for it. I don't quite remember in all honesty, but either way, if it's worth checking out for sure. Um, the more I drink this, the more I like it. Yeah, I think that's the way that it is with a lot of these flavors where like at first they're kind of jarring and then you kind of like acclimatize, you sort of like reset your center Mm -hmm. And then it's like, oh, okay. It's like, we also just opened this. So it's, I think this wine, you know, if you are drinking this, like, and plan on crushing a whole bottle with dinner, I definitely suggest decanting this. Like, I think that it, it likes a little bit of oxygen. Okay. This is definitely what I'd call a reductive grape variety. So a grape variety that, that wants a little, uh, little oxygen in its life. Yeah. Well, I think that's kind of, yeah. as it's opening up in the glass, I'm getting like a little bit more... The savoriness is kind of going away. Yeah. At least on the, on the back out. end. Yeah. Yeah, on the back end, it's like I can kind of perceive the acidity a little bit more. Um, it's like feeling a, like slightly lighter. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah the cool. tannins kind of resolve as they, they break down with the oxygen too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. I dig it. Uh, so the last one that we have this month is our sort of like Christmas present to everybody essentially. So what we did was we wanted to throw a Magnum in here because Magnums are just the best, uh, as, as Ben will attest to, because every once in a while he, he pours Magnums at the bar, which is great, mm -hmm. uh, or at the restaurant, uh, and probably sometimes at the bar as well, too. Uh, but Magnums, double-sized bottles, uh, they age significantly better than regular-sized bottles. Uh, basically, the air to wine ratio is better in a larger bottle up to a certain point uh, with you know somewhere between magnum and, and three liter bottles probably being the ideal aging size 
uh, for something that you want to drink within your own lifetime. If you've got a 12-liter bottle, then it's, it's probably just never going to be ready. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of, kind of how that works. Um, but uh, yeah, essentially, we uh, because of, of uh, you know all the lockdowns and things like that, there were fewer opportunities for people to drink large format bottles. Um, you know, the, I, I think it was, uh, I can't remember if it's Sasha Radicon or, or, or uh, who it was, but they're just like, uh, Magnum is like the perfect size for lunch for two people. Uh, one, <laughs> one bottle each. Uh, but us in, yeah, yeah, us in North America, we definitely uh, maybe drink a little, little, uh, little less than some of our winemaker friends. Sounds, um, sounds like a great lunch. Yeah, exactly. Sounds like a great lunch. Uh, anyways, so what we figured, you know, with the, with the holiday celebrations coming up and, and, you know, restrictions relaxing a little bit and, you know, maybe some, some family gatherings in the foreseeable future, like everybody's going to need a big bottle of wine to, to sort of get them through. And so what we did was we, uh, essentially decided to make absolutely no money at all on this wine club, uh, to get the price down to a point where it makes sense. So uh, this bottle of wine, you know, retails for like a hundred dollars a bottle, and yet somehow we, I don't know, we just thought it'd be fun. We figured it's been a hard year for everybody. Everybody needs something rad to to drink, and uh, you know, there's nothing better than getting a big bottle, uh, and especially of Gudogao. Uh, uh a producer that we've absolutely you know fallen in love with and, and re-fallen in love with recently legendary. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I feel like I go through these these sort of ups and downs where it's like. Um, you know, I'll go a couple months without having a bottle of Gudogao and then all of a sudden I'll have a bottle again and be like, oh my goodness, why am I not drinking this every single day? Uh, anyways, we listened to this amazing talk um, that was done through uh, Raw Wine Festival. Uh, they did an, an online version called Alive that includes a bunch of really amazing talks from farmers all around the world, as well as winemakers, uh, and Gudo Gao gave a little presentation. So Stephanie and Edward, the, the husband and wife team behind, uh, behind the project, um, and seeing their faces and listening to them chat again, I just re-fell in love with Gudo Gao all over again. Uh, and so we're, we're super fortunate that we can include another wine from them. This is Teodora. Uh, Teodora is sort of like the young, sort of like rambunctious, uh, you know, daughter of the of the Gudo Gao family. Uh, she's a fictional character. Uh, <laughs> she doesn't actually exist in real life, but essentially this is coming from their younger vines. Uh, so somewhere around 35 to 40 year old vines. It's mostly made from Grunerbelt Liener, but there's also Welsh Riesling in there. Uh, one third of it was fermented on skins, so made like orange wine, while the other two thirds were made like uh, classic white wine. Uh, so you end up with this really kind of interesting halfway um, between uh, between white and orange wine. Um, I don't know, Ben, I know you're a really big fan of Gudo Gao. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't know if you want to uh, sort of share why you like their wines or what it is that you like about them. And... Oh, um... I don't know. I think, I think they've kind of been there for me. I think a lot of, I, I can't really speak on it technically like you could, but, um, I think I, I kind of have like a, a little love for them in various ways, I guess we'll say. Uh, I think they are obviously, you know, fantastic winemakers. I'm no authority on determining that whatsoever, but I very much enjoy their wine. <laughs> um, which to me makes them like a good winemaker, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, they also just like, you know, seem like lovely people. You know, we've, I've kind of chatted with them a couple times. I was disappointed that I missed them when they were here. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, and I think like their whole philosophy is great. Um, but I think there are just like some bottles uh, for me and they happen to be, you know, a handful of Gouda Gal bottles that... Um, you know, just kind of, you know, when, when you're kind of first get, I don't know if, I don't know if you encounter this anymore because of how much wine you drink. And I, and I, I'm definitely encountering it less and less and less than I was when I kind of first got into wine, but they have bottles for me that, you know, uh, I taste them and I was just like, oh shit, wine can taste like this. Yeah. And I think sure. it's, it, it, it almost kind of at that point, like it has a certain level of like sentimental value because mm. like, I still to this day remember the first time I had the Brock Sellers Lagrain. Yep. I literally have it tattooed on my arm. 
uh, and the Candeli Syrah, which they don't make anymore, which is really sad. Like that was a wine that I was. They still have a couple bottles at Teatro. I want to buy them off them. Yeah, that's what I said too. I'm like, I need to go there and I need to to drink one before it's gone. It's also like sixty bucks on the list. Wow. Like you yeah. just go there at lunch and just. You know, crush a couple bottles. Yeah, exactly. Uh, at least a bottle. Yeah, so I think uh, for some stuff, you know, it's like pretty cir- circumstantial, I guess. But uh, yeah, they're, they tend to just be like light, you know, bright, fun, uh, and elegant. I think like definitely as I kind of progress in my wine drinking and maybe like as I get older, I'm like starting. And before when I started getting kind of getting into wine, I was just like, I just want the weirdest shit possible. Mm-hmm. You know, and I kind of like felt like that was, I don't know, it was like, I think a, as a lot of people kind of get into natural wine and like things uh, become, I don't know, like, I don't want to say trendy in a way, like in a bad way, but like, you know, we even had a conversation like this kind of coming down uh, here, but a lot of stuff is just like kind of like weird for the sake of being weird. Yeah. And I'm definitely kind of going more towards you know like I'm appreciating kind of like elegance and balance and yeah uh, shying away from like the you know the harshest harsh acidities and um, you know just wanted something that can like it's elegant and refined and I think that they kind of like do a, a really good job of kind of hitting both yeah they still like, the line yeah for sure it's still super interesting has a lot of character but it's also it's like you know perfectly balanced very like nicely structured yeah um and uh yeah i've been very fortunate enough to drink a lot of very good old, yeah i feel like you drink their wines more than i do <laughs> yeah uh, we still have a uh pretty hefty backlog of because we when alder first opened we bought like everything yeah and then yeah you know, like 2013 joshari and yeah 2015 timotheus we still have a bottle of yeah um, yeah, we drank a 2015 uh, Timoteus uh, like a couple weeks ago, Mark and I, and it was perfect right now. Mm-hmm. Like it's 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 so much better now even than it was back then and it was one of my favorite wines. And I'm like, it's not one of those wines that you taste and you're like, oh, this is going to age really well. But somehow they do and they just, I don't know, it's wild to see those wines with a little bit of age. Um, speaking of that, uh, there, there's going to be three different vintages. So you might get uh 2018 2019 or 2020 because we actually don't get enough of this wine in any given year uh in order to include it in the wine club uh so you're you're gonna get a a a mixed thing we get somewhere between six and 12 bottles a year uh and i think there's like 30 people in the wine club so it's like you're essentially getting three years worth of allocation for us uh but again that's that's kind of the fun um yeah that'd be fun like i would i would suggest like Crack this open, have like some light food, be great with like some, I even think like some tacos. Yeah. Some like al pastor with lots of like, you know, bright acidic condiments, like pineapple and stuff and For lime sure. and avocado would be really good with this wine. Yeah. But also just like, you know, kind of light salads, great with like Greek salad or something. Yeah. Like the olives, the salinity and stuff. Would, that Henry would be salad really, that we had earlier today. Yeah, that'd be good. Yeah. For sure. Good. Yeah. Kind of like avocado dressing. Yeah. Yeah, super good combo. Yeah. I wish we had some to drink. <laughs> I know. I yeah, I couldn't justify us opening up a magnum for the uh for the the podcast unfortunately. Also, I couldn't track down a regular size bottle in time because uh you know, we're we're hungover and we're not going to go for a walk to try and find more bottles of wine to drink at I guess it's 2 o'clock now. It's a reasonable hour to be to be drinking. Uh, yeah. 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 Seems Any hour is a reasonable hour to be drinking. Yeah, exactly. I, th- I don't think either of us are... Uh, Depends I, I how long it. you've been awake for. That's kind of how you can justify Ah, okay. Right? Sweet. Yeah. And you woke up at 10.45, so... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I mean, I don't fall by those rules. I'm a cook. I'll yeah, exactly. Sure. Yeah, for sure. Uh, know, if you've been awake for six hours and then it happens to be 8 a.m., you can have a glass of wine. That's totally. Fine, right? Yeah. But that's... Yeah, okay. I like that. I really like that. Uh, again, I had no cons about drinking at any time of day. Like, I don't no. think they're, yeah, I don't know. I don't play by that rules. If you need a shower beer in the morning, like, you need a shower beer. That's just the, the way it is. Or shower Riesling or uh, shower yeah. Cerdon. I feel oh, like yeah. it's, like, probably the appropriate, the most appropriate shower wine that there is. Like, 7% alcohol, sweet, yeah. pink. Yeah. It's good. Out of a mug. Something like that. <laughs> it's a proper move. 
okay, what other things should we talk about? We should talk more about, about restaurant things. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, you can drink whatever you want. It's, uh, <laughs> it's why we have the wines open. Um, yeah, so, okay, this is one thing that's really interesting is, like, again, I, I see your eating habits because we eat together, uh, you know, at least somewhat often and we go to restaurants and we, we order food and, uh, and that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, it's, and you've discussed this a lot as well too, where it's like, you have less desire to go do a tasting menu than you do to execute a tasting menu. Mm -hmm. Uh, you sort of like, you like the challenge of it. You like, uh, I don't know, presenting that experience to people who do like eating that way, who like having a four hour, you know, dinner that's curated where there's, there's conversation with the chef over the course of the, the, the evening, but that's not necessarily the way that you like to eat anymore. Mm. Uh, hmm. can you maybe sort of describe the experience of, of what you guys offer versus, uh, sort of the experience that, that you'd like to have and why you think that both are, are maybe valid and, and exciting ways of, of eating, perhaps? Yeah, um, that's an interesting question. Um, it's just coming off the top of the head. This is... <laughs> no, I guess, like, um, I think I, I do very much appreciate tasting menus, um, and I like, I like having them. Um, but I think, for me, you know, it's, it's, it's different because I don't... A tasting menu, especially not one at, you know, Yarrow, uh, is not one that you're, like, A, having all the time, and yeah. B, you're not going there to to have, like, a meal, I yeah. guess we'll say. I don't I don't want us to be like, oh, you're going there for an experience, you know, and like, kind of, <laughs> because I don't like that. It sounds like, it sounds pretentious and stuff, but, um, you know, you're going there to, like, have fun, have fun, and you're going there to have something that you know, you can't really get anywhere else. Um, so, yes, I, I love tasting menus. I like going to restaurants with tasting menus. I do not have them often. Um, but I go there out of, like, you know, I appreciate it, and I appreciate how much work goes into it. Uh, I tend to eat, you know, when you go, like, you know, lighter, you know, I like, you know, kind of, I love vegetables. I love seafood. I don't typically get, like, you know, big hearty braised things. Yeah. Um, so at the restaurant, um, that definitely, the way that I like to eat, I guess, translates a lot into the food. Uh, the food is always quite vegetal. Uh, we did shift our focus a little bit more recently to having like kind of a more seafood focus. Um, because I don't think any, I don't think anybody in Edmonton really does it. Um, not to like the extent that we're doing it. And it's, it's quite difficult to get. Um, maybe not super difficult to get. It's kind of difficult to like find good quality seafood in a restaurant. Yeah, like if we look at the menu from last time, we had essentially three trout dishes: one that was trout skin, one that was trout belly, and then one that was like a lightly smoked trout. We had an oyster course. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, there was uh, a scallop course. course. Yeah. Uh, caviar course. Caviar course. Uh, that's it for so yeah like of the again you're getting like 20 20 individual you know servings of, of things but that's like yeah that's definitely a, a pretty good seafood focus for sure yeah and it's um uh, yes uh yeah like about what a quarter a quarter of the menu yeah. is seafood and if i guess you put that into perspective we only have two dishes that are two other dishes that are like Meats. Meat dishes, yeah, for sure. Uh, the rest tends to be like you know more vegetal. We use a lot of different things like seafood preparations for seasoning things. Like we have, uh, like you know, powder of like smoked mussels and stuff that goes on something else. Yeah, and uh, again, it kind of all goes back to you know not not wanting to waste anything and trying to utilize as much as possible, and also like developing layers of flavor. Because obviously, you know, like drying a shellfish, um, it's like full of umami, so you can't really get that. Uh, it's difficult to get that another way. Mm -hmm. uh, it just gives us another like you know level to kind of play with. Um, but I think I think the main thing about the restaurant and the tasty menu is a lot of people, a lot of people are kind of apprehensive, you know, as they think that like, obviously it's a it's a, it's a higher price point. You know, our menu is one hundred and eighty dollars a person. 
um, that's our full menu, and then we have our light menu for a hundred dollars a person, um, which, in my opinion, uh, is a hell of a deal uh, yeah. for both of them. Oh, for, I agree. For what you get, and the amount of work that goes into it, and I think that's a lot of people. You know, you get a lot of people that like see a picture on Instagram, and they're like, "Oh, I'm paying this much, and that's all I get." I'm like, yeah, but you're also getting twenty five other things. You know. <laughs> yeah, and you're like, like you said earlier, you're like it took me like uh, a week of dry aging this duck plus six hours of cooking it yeah. and you're like not to mention all the other components on the dish and you're mm-hmm. like that was one out of 20 dishes and every dish takes that long like there are certain dishes on the menu where you're like yeah we have to babysit this for like 24 hours you're like we're here till four in the morning just like looking after a stock that we started when we first got in in the morning yeah. and you're like and there's there's we can't do it any other time like that's super time sensitive. And so, exactly. you know, it's, it's, you're feeding essentially 40 people a week and there's two of you working like 60 hours. Mm. Uh, Brett works but, 60 hours. I work 80 to 100. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, like, you know, say what you will about like what value is, but you're like that it costs that much because it takes you that much time to make it and you're also using premium ingredients for sure like it's you're not buying like yeah everything's the best it can be and everything's local like this is something that you did you i feel like you don't talk about that often yeah. is like your salt comes from bc your sugar is is beet sugar from alberta or yep. from yeah southern alberta yeah. yeah so it's like every like there's no pepper there's no citrus or there is citrus now because you found some wacky guys in in Quebec, uh, Quebec that are growing yeah. citrus, and that's just obscure like, citrus. That's like Buddha's hand, yeah, you know, calamansi, uh, sudashi, and yeah. they're like we put our, you know, and then I get like a box a year, like a little ten pound box of citrus a year, yeah, uh, and we yeah we like preserve it, and use for you know some little things do kosho or, um, yeah, make distillates. Buddha's hand distillates amazing, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, everything is kind of like, it comes from Saskatchewan, Alberta, BC. And then sometimes, sometimes, you know, Washington, Oregon, Montana, and that's like either for something, something rather specific, um, or if we get a much higher quality, like a much higher quality product, or if we just had a really bad season. Yeah. So for example, if like uh, BC had a really bad ramp season. Uh, ramps are wild leeks. Um, yeah, you can probably get them from get Oregon. them from Oregon. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, but yeah, to the point that you know, like you think, I've always been of the mindset where I think, uh, you know, creativity is kind of like a muscle, and uh, at least you know for me, and it helps me out a lot. Where, like, kind of you have to work it. You got to stimulate it in order for it to like thrive, and I don't think you can just be like you know, immediately creative all the time. Yeah. It takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of patience and, um, but it's also like a forced creativity, Mm -hmm. you know, like by having very strict parameters and restrictions, like we leave things very open-ended, uh, within those restrictions. Yeah. So we're not doing any sort of specific style of food. We're not doing like, we're not trying to do like, I say this air, you know, quotes, parentheses, whatever you want to, Call them. Uh, we're not trying to do like new Canadian food or anything. Yeah. Like that. We're just like, we do whatever the hell we want. Yep. And we're just having fun. Things can be inspired from all over the place. Uh, naturally, I'd say uh, there's a lot of inspiration from uh, like kind of Japanese and Scandinavian, but I think those are mm-hmm. just kind of circumstantial. Yeah, they're like processes that are very effective that are. Yeah, it's. Yeah, whether that be, you know, Koji, whether that be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and the, there's so many things about the, those two, I guess, kind of in particular. Um, like, you know, Scandinavia, it's like there's a lot of crossover just because we have very similar climates. So we have a lot of similar ingredients. And, yeah. and when we have six months a year that nothing's growing, we have to preserve stuff, especially in our setup, because we literally would not be able to yeah. know, get stuff. Yeah. Um, but then like Japanese, I think it's it's a lot more of a philosophy of like... Um, just letting the ingredients kind of speak for themselves and being kind of as clean as possible and like true to what, um, you know, what it is, 
uh, and just kind of respecting that ingredient. But uh, yeah, I guess kind of to to answer the question, it's like Yarrow is a Yarrow is a fun place. I would say people mm-hmm. automatically associate us with being like. I don't even call us a fine dining restaurant because yeah, it's it's not. <laughs> yeah, it, it's like, just like, uh, and I think that's kind of at least in my opinion, I think fine dining is like is is, is dying. Yeah, uh, like the the style of restaurant that we associate with fine dining. I think fine dining now is kind of a little bit more associated with price point. Yeah. Um, I think there's also just rules. Like there's rules that the staff have to follow. There's like this thing where it's like, oh, you have to pour over the right shoulder and like, you know, cutlery has to be this particular way. Service goes this way. So I think it's like it's almost more associated with those rules than it is with any particular totally. cuisine yeah. uh, or even quality level, frankly. Uh, I think you can have like bad food that is fine dining because fine dining is more of a like philosophical structure than it is uh, anything to do with the food uh, yeah, necessarily. Totally. Yeah, and I think um, – and I don't like that style of dining. Like I've been to restaurants and it's it's more of the style of service is, is like is French style service. Yeah. Where, you know, you have like your white tablecloths, you have your, you know, your crystal glasses and your silverware and you're like wearing gloves to like put it down. And oftentimes I find that it's like that style is like is overbearing. You know, like I just want to, I just want to go and have a good time and, uh, you know, just relax and especially like working that style is, I don't want to go to work every day and feel like a robot. Yeah. Like I need to say a specific thing, a specific way. And like it's 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 that's what makes it stuffy and that's what makes like people feel uncomfortable. I never want anybody to f- feel uncomfortable that they have to like act a certain way when they're there. Yeah. And like I always like to say like we're just we're just normal people. Yeah. Brett and I are just like two dudes that we're just like I'm a normal guy. I just want to have conversations with normal people. I want to shoot the shit. I want to like joke around and have fun. Yeah, you want to talk about hockey and Radiohead, yeah, specifically. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, and I think I'll, you know we we're we're very easygoing. Um, however, like our standard is very high. Mm-hmm. Um, so like we take our food very seriously. We definitely take our service seriously, but it's not an overbearing service. Like I've always liked the style of service where I describe it as like um, I like ghost servers. Yeah, for sure. Like, you get these servers that, don't get me wrong, I love servers. I think that, you know, uh, I think, in my opinion, service is the most important aspect of any restaurant. I'm more likely to go back to a restaurant if it had very good service and mediocre food than bad service and great food. Yeah. Like, I'm more likely. Unless there's certain contexts. Yeah, there are exceptions. You, like, go to, to, like, the pho place and they treat you like shit, but, like, you're okay with that. Yeah, for sure. Um yeah it's uh it's in context but uh um yeah like we just we just take our we take what we offer very seriously and um yeah we try and be as like as we try and have as little intrusion as possible yeah and that's why like we don't follow the same kind of like service i don't want to say service standards service rules like you mentioned yeah it's like if and also given our table setup um like something as specific as the cutlery it's like everybody would associate you know it's like your your fork goes on the inside on your right side and then your knife goes on the outside of that or yada yada like we obviously we kind of follow those rules but it's like i'm gonna either put on your left or your right side depending on how you're facing yeah because it's like if you're just leaning in close and having a conversation with somebody i want to be as like intrude on that moment as like as 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 little as possible yeah so it's like I'm just gonna quickly tuck in and you know put your cutlery down. I'm not gonna be like, oh, excuse me, can you please like, Move you know, away, stop your to serve from the yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> stop your moment that you're having with your significant other on your 15th wedding anniversary so that I can put your cutlery down. Yeah, you know, it's like uh, we just yeah, no matter what, we want them to like have a good time. We we're very you know kind of engaging and interactive. However, we never force that on anybody. Yeah, 
um, like we encourage interaction. We encourage interaction between like you and your other diners. We encourage interaction with us. Like we want you to ask questions because I want to geek out. Uh, I want to like you know tell you about all these things, but I'm not forcing information down your throat. I'd be like, oh, we did this, 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 and this, and we did this, and it's like, like you, ninety percent of people don't give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> and they just care if it tastes good, and I'm you know we'll give like a little bit into the process, but like. Yeah, if you want to engage with us and ask us questions, like we'll happily answer that. But we also are not going to force that on you. If you're just wanting to come and you know celebrate your your wedding anniversary with your significant other, yeah. or celebrate somebody's you know graduating, you know, or getting their PhD, or you know, you just want to go out for a nice meal and don't really want to talk to anybody, then it's like <laughs> yeah. that's cool. You know, we're not gonna we'll require as little of your attention as possible. Uh, like literally just to I guess kind of listen to what we're serving and then that's it yeah um, and I think that's kind of you know uh, that's kind of what sets us apart um, is that it's a very kind of it's a very casual and laid back service we're just normal people and but we take our product very very seriously which you don't typically see both of those things in one setting yeah um, and I think that's you know especially in a city like Edmonton where you know Alder Room was the first restaurant in Edmonton ever to only offer a tasty menu. And Yara was the second, and they were both mine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so I think, like, to have that, especially being, like, the first one, uh, we didn't want to, like, scare people away by, it, like, feeling, like, too stuffy and yeah. too pretentious. Nor is that even my attitude or personality in the slightest. I don't want to do that at all. Um, but... It's, yeah, it was a lot more part of, you know, making it casual and, and having people feel like it's, it's like fancy accessible. Yeah. I would say that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, so I think that's, that's kind of a big thing for us. And I think that's kind of where a lot of, I guess, restaurants of like a certain, we'll say... I don't want to say caliber. We'll say a certain aspiration. Yeah. Trying to like kind of achieve something. Yeah. Because I don't think we are, we are no better than anybody else. Yeah. Uh, we may care about different things than other people care about. Uh, we take our food very seriously, but I will never say that I'm like a better cook yeah. than anybody else because people just are different and they have, you know, I can't make the same food as, you know, a lot of other people. And totally. they do a great fucking job at it. Yeah. Uh, we This just happens to be what we like to do. And we do a great job at it. But, you know, we're not going to be a, you know, an Italian restaurant or something. Yeah, you for know? sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's no pasta course. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah, I don't actually, like, I don't believe that, you know, bread or pasta or really carb-heavy dishes belong in a menu that size. Yeah. Um, they're just, like, too much, too much filler. Uh, but I mean, we serve bread on the, on the light menu. We serve because uh, it's a smaller menu. And we definitely like want people to you know still feel full. Yeah. Um, uh, because you know it is it's a lower price point, and that's also the thing to note too is that like our price point is 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 actually less than what we should be charging. Yeah. Um, because we still go based off the <laughs> traditional kind of. Um, the scale of, of costs to, you know, sale price, like, ratio. Yeah, um, like the like, cost of goods, like, yeah, and based our f- on this food cost, the dish costs this much. Yeah, and our, yeah. our food cost is, like, is a little bit high. Yeah. Like, because, you know, if I can spend an extra couple bucks per pound or something and get a much higher product, then I'm going to do that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, we, we typically sit anywhere between, like, 34 and 37%. Yeah. Food costs. And that's like just the food costs. If we've actually factored in how many hours it takes to like, A, <laughs> yeah. you know, like for us to go by ourselves, spending our weekends when we already work, you know, plenty of hours to like, we're going to forge stuff, you know, yeah. we're going to like spending all these hours like making things and even like storing things. Like we have pickled blueberries that are five years old yeah. that I've like moved around with me as yeah. I like, you know, go about my life. Um, so it's like, yeah, for kind of, you know, for what you get, it's a very, uh, 
you're also, you know, you're paying for a service. You're paying for, like, somebody's time and... Yeah, and curation um, and, yeah. Yeah, and knowledge and enthusiasm and... Um, it's it's a very good price uh, for, like, what you get. Yeah. Even, even like, merely from a food perspective. Yeah. Like, so. Or even just, like, think of it as, like... Uh, like an hourly charge for being in that restaurant, like as a person, essentially, like you're going to be nonstop eating essentially for like, again, three, three hours. Like, yeah, it's like three to four hours depending on the group. Yeah. Some people want to hang out and like chat more and like take their time. Some people are like faster eaters. So totally. we basically like the group dictates the pace. So we will go as fast yeah. or as slow as they like. Uh, and that's also the fun thing about our setup is that like, we do one C a night. So it's like when you come, the restaurant is all yours. Totally. We're not trying to rush you out to get anybody in. We're not trying to like get and make another turn. Yeah. You can be there as long as you, you yeah. know, whatever pace feels most comfortable. Yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, it's, it's fun. I like it. Yeah. Hey, I like it too. Honestly, again, and I've, I've said this before and I hate to, uh, give you too much credit or anything like that, but I honestly think that, you know, I've probably eaten, five, six meals there, seven meals. And then not only that, but it's like, I've also been lucky enough to be sort of guests on a bunch of nights. And I can honestly say that it is amongst the best food that I've ever had anywhere in the world. And I can't think of a tasting menu that I've enjoyed as much. Uh, like period, I guess there's like no more left to say other than that. Like that there's, there's no tasting menu that I've done anywhere in the world that is as good as that. There's other experiences that I also really enjoy. And like, this is what you were saying as well is like, you know, the seafood tower that we had at uh, Clamato in Paris. That's a different experience mm -hmm. that I like just as much, but it was like an entirely different thing. Uh, not only that, but that was just like, just really good raw seafood. Uh, you know, there's nothing done to it. There's nothing special other than the fact that they curated it for us. They're like, hey, you should be eating these clams, these oysters, these crab legs, like, totally. you know, specifically these things. Uh, and so like, yeah, that was a really amazing experience. But when it comes to like prepared food, food that somebody has done something to, uh, again, I can't think of a, a menu that I've ever had that's that inspiring. And that's all seven times that I've eaten there. Like there's not one time that I think of as like a, a greater or lesser experience. They've all been equivalently 10 out of 10. And again, that's, that's, you know, tuning a friend's horn for sure, but at the same time, it is it is very much sincere. And I think, uh, you know, a lot of people that I know who think about food on this sort of, uh, in this sort of way and, and are as invested in consumption as I am, I think they would, they would very much agree with that. So, uh, I like yeah. that. Invested in consumption. Yeah. I don't know. Again, I told you, I, I'm feeling pretty good today despite the hangover. I'm invested like, in consumption. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. If I, could eat for, if I could eat for a living, I would. Oh yeah, that's the dream for sure. I like eating more than I like cooking. <laughs> yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's most people mm -hmm. definitely. Yeah. Uh, cool. Well, I think that's probably a good place to wrap it up. There's a million more things that we could talk about, but we'll maybe save that for a different episode. Um, I don't know. Do you have anything else you want to say before you you leave? Any sort of like last pitch you want to give or? Uh, come see us, Edmonton. Can't wait to have you. Yeah. Nice. Uh, sweet. Well, thank you so much, uh, for listening. Uh, if anybody has any additional questions for either Ben or I, uh, Ben or me, I think is the correct grammatically. And I've been saying it wrong forever. Anyways. Uh, yeah. If you want to reach us, you can send me an email. Uh, it's Eric E R I K at juiceimports.com. Uh, you can also find us on Instagram at, at juice imports. Uh, you can also find Ben on Instagram. I'll link that in the newsletter as well. Uh, yeah, thanks so much. And, you know, if you want us to talk about anything in particular, anybody that you want us to interview in future episodes, just let us know. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Thanks so much and enjoy the wines and have uh, fun holidays. Cheers.